The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. Her parents could not believe their ears. It was bad enough that in the middle of college, she had switched her major from engineering, a most respectable field of work, to Christian ministry. But at least she ended up finding a job out of college and was now gainfully employed, receiving a paycheck every week from a local church. It wasn't engineering or the medical field, but hey, it was a paycheck. But now here was Jill, three years later, telling her parents she was feeling a calling from God into a new mission field, out of state, actually out of country, to help start a new ministry from scratch. Really? Okay, said the parents, well, how much does it pay? Well, that's the thing, said Jill. I don't have a paycheck, or I won't have a paycheck at first, or maybe for a while. But I know this is what God is calling me to do. So I know I need to go. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John chapter 12, verse 16. Do we understand what type of Savior we follow who rides into Jerusalem this day on a donkey? What kind of kingdom does he bring? And how are we called to be a part of it? The church had spent months searching for a new pastor of a large, well-known, prestigious church. Dozens of candidates, candidates had been considered and eliminated. No one was found to be smart enough or good enough or good-looking enough or competent enough to be their new pastoral leader. One night when the committee had gathered for its usual meeting, one of the members said, we have been sent an interesting letter of inquiry and a resume. I'd like you to consider this person. Then the individual began to read from the letter. The letter said, I would like to be considered as your new pastor. I've only been in the ministry for a few years, and I must admit that my years of ministry have been rather tumultuous. I did not grow up in the church, but I was drawn into the church as an adult through a rather dramatic religious experience, so dramatic I was incapacitated for a number of days after I met Christ. Then I quit what I was doing, and I began to roam about preaching the gospel. Some people liked my sermons, but a lot did not. I've been arrested on at least four different occasions. I've served in three different jails. On one occasion, after one of my sermons, the congregation was so incensed, they dragged me out of the pulpit, beat me, and escorted me to the edge of town before dumping me. 
In the churches that I have served, I think I've been a loving pastor, but also a strict one. I've had to chase more than one member out of the church for immoral actions. I certainly don't mind calling an ace an ace and a spade a spade when it comes to disciplining church members. I write this letter to you while I am in jail. I hope to be released from jail sometime soon, but I have found that when it comes to jail time, one never knows. However, I hope that you will consider me as your new pastor. As soon as I get out of prison, I would certainly like to have gainful employment. Well, the committee members were incensed, said one of the members, how dare someone write a church of our caliber with presumption that we would be desperate enough to hire somebody like that? Another exclaimed, is this some kind of joke? A jailbird as our new pastor? I'd love to see our lead counsel get a hold of that one. Who is this guy who wrote this, demanded another. The person holding the letter simply said, it's signed, St. Paul. As in the great missionary to the Gentiles, the one who founded so many churches, created Christian theology, spread the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world, the one who boasted he was a fool for the sake of Christ. The one who boasted that the wisdom of the world is pure foolishness from a Christian view whereas the foolishness of the cross is true wisdom. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John chapter 12, verse 16. Do we understand what type of Savior we follow who rides into Jerusalem this day on a donkey? What kind of kingdom does he bring? And how are we called to be a part of it? Years ago, there was a pretty famous camp for kids in the summer. It had grown in reputation throughout the years, and hundreds of kids would literally come to camp every year. And one of the things that they would do is throughout the week, each night, each cabin at the camp was responsible for devotions. But then after devotions, a famous athlete would come and deliver some kind of message to encourage children to accept and welcome Christ into their life. One particular year, when the camp was again sold out, they went through and assigned each night of devotions to a different cabin. Cabin number five got Friday evening, the last night of camp. Cabin number five thought it would be fun, or rather funny, if they had Johnny share first from their cabin when it got to devotions that night. Johnny had a speech impediment. Specifically, he stuttered. And his cabin mates thought it would be funny to have him start the devotional time and thought there would be a lot of amusement in having him share first. And so the week went as normal, and each night the cabin would share in the devotional thought, followed by the famous speaker, who was usually a famous athlete. They got to the final night of camp, and as usual, it was expected that the devotions would be done by the cabin members. So the cabin members got Johnny, and they pushed him out into the center of the stage first, while they stood off to the side to watch and to get ready to be amused and perhaps even laugh. 
And so Johnny came out, and he was actually glad that he had been given an opportunity. Usually people didn't pay any attention to him because of his stuttering. So he knew no different. He had no idea that they were looking to laugh at him rather than honor him. But out he came, and his cabin mates wondered, even as they were getting ready to be amused, what was it he was going to share? And so Johnny began, and he said, Jesus loves me, me, for this, 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 I, 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 no, for, 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 for the, the, by, 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 evil tells me, me, so. And once he had uttered those words, a holy silence fell over the place. There was no laughing. There was no mocking. And that night, Jesus came very unexpectedly into the camp in a new and different way. And more campers gave their life to Christ that night than any other night with any of the other famous, more well-known speakers. Jesus rode into camp that night in the most unexpected of ways. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things that had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John chapter 12, verse 16. Do we understand what kind of savior we follow? Who rides into Jerusalem this day on a donkey on Palm Sunday what kind of kingdom does he bring? And how are we called to be a part of it? When I had the privilege of sharing and attending at Duke Chapel many years ago, it was not unusual for a variety of somewhat famous speakers to come and share in the chapel experience. A number of years ago, the chapel had the opportunity to host Dr. Billy Graham on a rather unforgettable service and Sunday morning. The week, though, before Graham arrived, the Office of University Security was called, and they were in an uproar and demanded an urgent meeting with the seminary chaplain. At the meeting, they asked questions like, will Graham be bringing his own security people? They told the chaplain that the security forces needed to be registered with all of the university police, and if he was not bringing sufficient police with them, then the university police needed to be notified so that they could get the additional security forces. They also said that the chapel must be emptied at least three hours prior to Graham's arrival in order to do a thorough search for any potential bomb threats. Therefore, the chaplain dutifully called Dr. Graham asking him what security requirements were needed. Dr. Graham replied, I have the Lord as my security. I plan to fly into Raleigh-Durham on Saturday afternoon to rent a car and drive it over to the hotel myself. It will just be me. I've always appreciated Dr. Graham, but it goes even higher in my appreciation when I hear stories like that. Refusing to be labeled by the university as another celebrity, big name, famous person. He was determined to be a follower of the Lord who entered the capital city riding on a donkey or in this case, in a rental car. 
At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John chapter 12, verse 16. Do we understand what type of Savior we follow who rides into Jerusalem this day riding on a donkey? What kind of kingdom does he bring? And are we willing to be a part of it how is it that you and i understand this messiah who comes riding into jerusalem today riding on this donkey offering us a new definition of sovereignty the one who moves to the cross today for weeks now we have been wandering we began out in the wilderness with jesus and our wandering specifically and asking lots of different questions and practicing anchoring practices to help us in our wandering and now here we are in all of our wandering coming literally at the start of Holy Week to the foot of the cross. The shadow of the cross is all now but upon us as we gather here this day. Now, let's be clear. Today is Palm Sunday. It is one of, if not the most politically charged Sundays of the year. So be warned. I'm not talking about politics as you and I often engage in them. I'm not talking about Democrats versus Republicans. This is about who really holds the power. For weeks, we have been wandering, we have been journeying, moving again ever closer to the cross. We've explored practices like confessing and seeking, thirsting and resting, praising and sitting. And now today comes perhaps the most difficult one of all, understanding. After all, how can we understand an all-powerful king who chooses to ride to his own death riding on a donkey and then asks us to follow him? How are we to put that kind of faith into action? How do we understand a savior who is both human and divine, a king and a priest, who is both welcomed by sinners this day by the children and the poor and those on the fringes, but reject. How can we be both following a savior who seeks to save the lost, but threatens the established powers? How do we understand a savior who is all knowing, but appears all too foolish this particular Sunday? As Jesus enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he continues to do what he did throughout his entire earthly ministry. He redefines for us our understanding and our assumptions about what it means to be Messiah, what it means to be God, what it means to be king. He comes and enters into Jerusalem this day, and his followers are walking behind him, and today Jesus invites his followers to do the same, no matter how odd it may look to the rest of the world. Are we prepared to follow this countercultural, narrow way of Jesus all the way to the cross? Do we understand what it means to follow the one who enters Jerusalem today with shouts of Hosanna, but at the end of the week we'll hear shouts of crucify? Are we prepared to follow a Savior whose triumphal entry into Jerusalem comes as a sort of parody to our understanding of a messianic expectation of what a Savior is supposed to do? Today we seek to understand the deep, deep irony of a crucified savior, one who, oh yes, chooses to reign, but from a cross. 
Here is Jesus arriving at the capital city, Savior, Messiah, King, not on a powerful war horse, not with a royal entourage, but bouncing on the back of a donkey. Is this some colossal joke? The best that we can do for the Son of God is a mule of sorts? Really? It's enough to make us keep on wandering. In the Gospel of John, chapter 12, we see and we hear Jesus riding into Jerusalem with palm branches and shouts. And what are they shouting? Part of the irony is that in the Gospel of John, it says this, chapter 12, verse 13, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel is literally quoting Psalm 118. Hosanna is literally a Hebrew expression that means save. So we hear in Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And then what do we hear? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of John, shared from Psalm 118. But here's more of the irony. Psalm 118 also shares these verses, 22 and 23. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. These words in Psalm 118 foreshadow what is to come, what we celebrate here on this Palm Sunday. Verses 22 and 23 refer to this Messiah that we hear about in John today, the one that will be rejected by the world betrayed to the cross. And yet, Psalm 118 is considered a psalm of thanksgiving. How in the world is that possible? How can it be possible this is a psalm of thanksgiving, knowing and foreshadowing that this Messiah will be rejected, even killed by the end of the week? And it's because this God inaugurates a new kind of kingdom, one that appears foolish to the world, but offers true hope, true peace, true victory to those who trust in him. And that is good news. Worthy of great thanksgiving, the strange good news of the kingdom of God. And here is the good news. Jesus wins. The kingdom of God wins. Hosanna, Jesus wins. But do we understand that on this fateful day? A new type of Savior who looks so very foolish to the rest of the world. Are we willing to follow such a one? But be careful before you answer. He just might ask you to step out in front of a lot of other people with all of your imperfections. He might ask you to use your influence for peace instead of force. He might call you into places of great insecurity and unknown. This week, we end this part of our wandering. We join Jesus in the last part of his journey, and how will we respond, no matter how odd it may look to the rest of the world? I invite you one more time this Thursday evening, if you are not yet part of a host site, to come and share in Holy Thursday. I invite you on Friday night to join us across the street for a Good Friday worship experience where we experience the death of Christ. 
I invite you to be part of the prayer vigil, and I invite you next week to come and to celebrate and to shout Hosanna and bring everyone that you can as we experience and lift up the resurrection and celebration of Jesus Christ. But be careful. Because in arriving in Jerusalem in the way that Jesus did on that donkey, Jesus demonstrates to Jerusalem and to us. True security is not in raising an army and running out the Romans, but in putting their trust in the Lord. In this way, all religion is really political, and all politics really are religious. Especially in our present age, politics often become our means of salvation, our means of protection from the cradle to the grave, our main source of security and well-being. But today, Jesus on this donkey says, that's foolishness. Don't you believe it for one second. The way of the cross of Christ is foolishness to the world. What do we do with that? How do we make sense of that? How do we understand that? Where will we place our trust? Remember, this is the one for whom they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And then he was, as Psalm 118 reminds us, the stone the builders rejected. Remember, this is a kingdom where order and stability are not what will ultimately satisfy our souls. This is a kingdom where up is down and down is up. This is a kingdom where power is defined by service, not by control. It is a kingdom where our resume does not reflect our worth and our dignity. It is a kingdom where the savior of this world comes not with the strongest army, not with the greatest physical presence, but through obedience and sacrifice and humility, riding on a donkey. It is a kingdom whose hero rides into town, not with stallions and and not with TV cameras, but with children and people on the fringe cheering him on. This is a kingdom where our hero goes to the cross, not a municipal office and not the Oval Office. And at first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things that had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John chapter 12, verse 16. Today, may we as disciples understand and may we be willing to journey all the way to the cross. May we in our wandering be brought to the cross. And know this, Jesus wins the good news is that this donkey riding savior wins the one who rides all the way to the cross and beyond wins let us join in the journey because this savior is the one who can help us end our wandering and find what we've been looking for and we understand this reality this day and follow. Let us wander into Holy Week. Amen.